Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. I am joined by Mr. Mike Saza. Mike, it's Tuesday evening when we're recording this. Middle of the week, Iowa State week. Um, interesting, interesting point of the season here for West Virginia after a tough kind of gut-wrenching, I guess maybe word, loss to Texas. Then lose a couple more starters, maybe. Um, and now a tough Iowa State team. Uh, but before we get that, how are things with you? Good. Um, spinning a little bit. We're in between um, basketball and football. Basketball, believe it or not, kind of quote-unquote starts on Friday with the, the very modern Midnight Madness thing, which it's kind of a weird thing. Like the whole Midnight Madness with the dunk contest and the skills competition, it got to be very played out and, and tired and nobody was doing it anymore. So you try to do like a scrimmage, and I think that like the scrimmage is kind of old now, and this Golden Blue debut thing is a cool idea, but it's really watered down. I actually think they practice earlier in the day, so you're not going to see anything great. I talked to one person today who said, uh, expect ugly basketball, which is not probably what they're going to put on the poster for this thing. So but... mid- mid-season form, is that what oh. you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, wow. cheap shot early. Cheap shots in early. Wow. Let's go. So I guess I'm kind of I'm intrigued by who they are and what they have, but I by no means expect to learn anything Friday to the point that like I might not even go Friday. I might just like look at your write up or check out the the highlights online or whatever you want to call it. But I think that I think that the the uh, slam dunk contest and the midnight madness is so is so lame that it's probably hip again. And I think you can do it without strippers and rappers and money guns and Adidas <laughs> t-shirts and everything and have a good time with it too. I look forward to come back in the future. Well, of course we can because. West Virginia is a Nike school, like so we don't have that kind of stuff. But I think you could really have fun with it if you came out in Adidas shirts and like all of a sudden a bunch of like wads of cash fell out of your Adidas shorts, for example. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden some guy in a suit comes out and pulls you to the side and away we go. All right. Well, we'll get to basketball. Like you said, uh, it quote unquote starts the season this Friday, but we're not expecting much and we're going to get to basketball. There will be a lot of basketball talk on this podcast in the coming weeks and months. But right now let's focus on football because actually, amazingly, as we started this podcast, uh, recording this podcast, we received an updated depth chart from West Virginia. Oh, Um, as I noted, when we got the game notes uh, Monday night, the school typically sends out the game notes and then kind of updates it a little bit as the week goes on. And then there's a couple changes that maybe happen that are not brought to anyone's attention until game time. But there are a couple. Uh, one kind of caught me off guard. Me, not you. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. The other one's pretty obvious. Sean Ryan, as Neil Brown noted today, out for several weeks, uh, at least a couple weeks, I think is what Brown said. Uh, although that seems optimistic regardless of the injury with with surgery involved but he is off the depth chart ollie jennings and bright or bryce wheaton uh which is how they were listed last week as the backup to ryan now the starter at x receiver with ricky johns as the i guess third stringer uh the third x receiver on the depth chart any any thoughts on that uh especially with you know each of those two guys kind of having their moments so far this year yeah, I kind of like the idea that you don't give it to Bryce Wheaton right now. He had a pretty nice um, audition at the end of last week where I, I, apparently he has been practicing better to the point that he went in in that situation. I mean, it could have been Ali, for example, and Jennings did play a little bit, but they put him in there and, and he made two plays. 
but he's not the guy now. I think they want to keep him going. He, he's physically capable. Um, I think the, the Tuesday through Thursday stuff is, is a trick for him sometimes, but man, we saw it on the Saturday, so that's cool. Um, so I think that's an interesting one. I'm curious to see what happens with Sam James because uh, not clear yet. Uh, I don't want to play amateur uh, position here, but he hit his head pretty good in the ground, so I think we can understand that um, he has not been okay to practice, and it may happen later in the week. Uh, tune in to Neil Brown's radio show if you want to get the answer. That was actually the explanation today, so um, I'm going to pass on that, and I'm going to leave it up to the board or somebody on Twitter to tell me that. Um, but they're going to need receivers, honestly. And then I missed the second one because I was trying to retrieve this email that I was not aware we had. What was the second one you asked me? Uh, the second one, uh, the second uh, change mm-hmm. is – Reese Donahue now listed as starting defensive tackle over Dante Stills. I think this is a production kind of thing. Um, They really want to get the best out of Stills. I don't think there's any question that there's a higher ceiling for him. He has more time left on his clock. I think he's, you know, probably held in more regard than than Donahue. Donahue is going to give you exactly what he gives you. He doesn't hurt himself with errors or lack of effort but doesn't you know, blow you away with some of the stuff that Stills does. I think they want to see that out of Stills as best they can. Uh, Stills had one tackle last game. I don't think he was especially good. I thought Donahue played better and played more. Uh, and again, assignment sound, he's not going to goof up there. I think Stills is capable of doing more stuff, and you can let him kind of act out of the instructions sometimes, but he's still got to make the plays. He just didn't do it last time. Again, it's going to be a 50-50 split, and if one of them gets hot, um, they're going to be in in the most important situations. I would just say that this is probably more of just keeping stills right of center as often as possible. I agree. I don't. I don't think any most any change on the defensive line at this point is just not going to make that big of a difference. Because I'm with you. I think they're going to split the snaps. I think whoever's playing well will get more. But wide receiver, I kind of want to flip it back to that because because of these changes, because of these injuries. Uh, these changes are real. Uh, they're forced, but they're real. Um, what does West Virginia? Because here's the other. Here's here's the other. Um, uh, what are these big fancy words you use in journalism? Uh, hey. There's something else going on here that that's affecting this, and it's that Neil Brown said it today during the press conference. They want to go bigger. They're, or they did go bigger last game, at least. I don't know if that's the plan every game moving forward, but that was the explanation for why. Tevin Bush was not seen much. Uh, Winston Wright, who starts above him, was not seen much. Uh, and so if you're kind of pushing that position, that H receiver position, that inside guy out, then you're putting more pressure on the other receivers, and now you're losing those receivers to injury. So where does West Virginia go here? The reason I think they did that, and you saw tight ends playing in the yeah. slot more, and I think I think we kind of one snap for Logan Timmons because he really can't play the slot. Um, and I don't think that West Virginia wanted to mess at all with the tackles in the middle linebacker. Um, but interestingly, didn't really run outside either because I think they were worried about perimeter blocking and being able to stretch things out against size and speed out there. But that's probably why you saw the tight ends playing in the slot, which meant you know, a really good blocker like TJ Simmons, for example, he was able to play outside and add a body out there. Didn't do a lot in the screen game out there, which is not curious to me, but I thought that might be a way to attack the perimeter without abandoning that completely. Um, but I think that's one one thing that you look at, like Iowa State is good on defense, plays similar to what, I mean, they do their thing and Texas kind of borrowed from it a little bit, but Texas's personnel is so much different. Um, I'm not sure that it's a it's an apples to apples thing here. 
but I think that you could look at some of the things and say, okay, uh, Haskins, for example, he can block a little bit and play the slot. Maybe we can play him as that each a little bit, just in, in situations where perhaps he can run some routes. It's, it's an option right now, and I think, moreover, you're getting so short on receivers now that you might really need to play Haskins or O'Loughlin in the slot and have him do some things just that, uh, to give you some size, maybe just to give you a bit of a change up or maybe some relief there because they're, they're really low. And I'll tell you this, um, this is where the redshirt rule comes in handy. Not because you might use a player for a game or two here. They're really out of receivers. They can do that with, but uh, Jennings and uh, Wright have played and you have an idea of who they are. You could still keep them on the shelf if you wanted to and not, I mean, they're at their limit right now. Um, but that you have been able to play them in kind of like a trial period they're about as ready as they can get, all things considered right now. Uh, Jennings in particular could be really important because he plays that outside spot, and they're going to need people out there. If you're going to play 75 snaps a game, you're going to need a couple outside receivers, and if they're down two, I mean, they're really left with, let's count here, Jennings, George Campbell, Bryce Wheaton, TJ Simmons. Like you're, you're really low here right now, so they're, they're kind of getting rewarded for – experimenting with guys like Jennings and Wright earlier, especially if you had to move Simmons outside, then Wright, you have another body you could play in the middle. Uh, it's something else uh, from Neil Brown's press conference today. And no, not his, no, not, not, no answer, Neil, uh, whatever we want to call him, uh, avoiding the rule on the red shirts. Um, I, I, he's in a tough spot with that. So I'm, I'm really not trying to make fun of him. I get that you have to be very careful with what you say about players just up and leaving the program like that because it can be twisted. Uh, it's a dirty, dirty recruiting game out there with other coaches. They'll use your words against you. So I understand. But that it, I there's something I feel like there is something, some change is going to come with this four-game-and-out rule. I know you like your five-year rule. I like it too. Um, but do you feel like something, something's coming with that? So that kids, so that seniors aren't playing four games and then, uh, quitting on the program. I mean, I, I caught some flack for saying he quit on the team last time we were on here, but I guess I could use Neil Brown's phrase of he made the decision to be a non-participant of this team or non-act, not active participant of this team, um, which is quitting. Uh, what, what kind of. What, what what's the solution here? Is there a solution or is it your five-year rule? What's interesting is the coaches are going to have the say in this and they're going to have to okay rules and all that stuff and by and large recommend them to. Um, and if it's going to happen, it's going to be coaches who are getting ticked off about it. And I think we're trending in that direction. I just don't know how you qualify it. I really don't. I mean, do you put like a, I don't know, a percentage toward graduation? Um, I'm not really sure that specifies anything. Do you make it before a certain date? That's interesting. Like, does it have to be before the final third of the season? Um, but you're going to eliminate a lot of that anyways, because you're talking eight games where guys are going to make up their mind before four. So maybe the deadline is before the fourth game of the season. But by the way, that's the rule anyways. Um, I, I really think, and this sounds silly, but I think you're just going to have to be candid with your players and your players are going to have to be candid with you and say, um, listen, can you promise me you're not going to transfer because I'm going to make you the backup? Or three games in, you say, hey, back in August, you told me you were going to stay. Well, we're actually going to change your position now, and you're going to go play offense instead. And that player is going to be like, well, golly, coach, I promised you I wasn't going to leave. 
uh, I guess I'll just do this for the good of the squad and squander my final season. That's not going to happen. So that gentleman's agreement doesn't work. I, I've thought about this and how do you legislate it is interesting to me. I just, I just don't know if it's, I mean, maybe coaches approving it is the ultimate way to red light, green light it. But imagine how vindictive that's going to be too. Um, <laughs> and then you're going to get all sorts of challenges there. And then I just, I'm really fascinated by this too. It's and what's what's surprising but not surprising is that um, there is no mechanism to deal with this. Even though we saw this as an option as soon as it happened last year, Jalen McCleskey did it right away at Oklahoma State. Um, and there's that was the if. There's been no then. Whereas you say, well, if this happened, then here's how we're going to solve it. And nobody came up with a way to do it, even though you knew it was going to happen. And to be honest with you. It's kind of on the conferences and the schools and the coaches now. They're the ones who got to take control of this. But also, to be honest with you, I have no idea how you do it. Like, what's what's the right way here? I don't know. I don't know how you do it without just wiping the rule out completely. And I think that's a really bad idea unless you do that and you replace it with the very good five-year rule, which is just you let everybody play five years, which is not a crazy rule. It sounds weird, but, like, it's not going to be used very often, and it's a really smart thing to do, I think. What about – and somebody posted on this on the board, and so I'm stealing it from them, but mm-hmm. – it has to happen. Now they posted the four game rule. It has to happen during your freshman year. I'd extend it a little bit, but it, let's say it has to happen during your first two years on campus. You can play four games and then redshirt as long as it happens the first year or two on campus. Does that fix this? I mean, I guess guys could still leave, but they're leaving when they're what freshmen or sophomores and, you know, probably not contributing a lot instead of seniors abandoning the team like halfway through the season or does that make a difference? I don't know if coaches would be in favor of that though, because you're losing a lot of recruiting classes and you're not going to be able to address it because that 25 cap. Um, and so, so I understand the idea there is that sooner rather than later, and you can put a guy in a ledger before the end of his career. But I think for the longevity of your program, you would much rather lose somebody in their fourth year with just a number of games left than lose somebody in their first or their 1A year or their second year where they have a number of years left. I understand the logic, and I think it's a good thing for some parties. I'm just not sure coaches would go for it. And, and that's another thing that needs to be fixed is this 25-man cap because yeah. it's it's not going to work with this transferring. If guys are leaving, that's going to leave. First, it's going to leave the team that is losing the guy in a bad spot because they can't really replace him uh, because of the hard cap. And then eventually – this market is going to be flooded with all of these transfers and there are going to be more transfers out there than there are spots available, leaving guys leaving, leaving, you know, nobody really cares about the teams and the schools and the coaches. They're the bad guys. But if you want to look at it from the other way, it's going to leave these poor defenseless kids out in the cold too. They're going to try to transfer and there's going to be nowhere for them to go because everything's got a hard cap and there's no space for anybody. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your 
time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I've talked to one coach who is uh, in the conference and not at West Virginia and the idea there is that like what you're saying is true and the kids are going to realize uh, and the numbers already been out there for basketball. There's 150 some odd kids who are in the transfer portal and, and some or many of them are, are walk on. So whatever. But um, if you go for this fifth year thing or if you go for this, you know, I'm going to leave before my four games are up and, and redshirt or whatever it is. But if you do that and you populate the transfer portal, um, it's going to be a large number of people in there. But. I don't think kids are going to look at that and go, well, I shouldn't do that. I don't think that's the corrective measure. I think it's a, a line and a story and it may be a story in itself and it's going to be a headline that gets people's attention, especially in football where you have half as many teams as in basketball, but you have six times as many scholarships too. So I don't think you're going to have quite the congestion in the transfer portal. Um, the best players, they're going to find a spot for it, but the trouble is that not everybody is the best player and there's going to be people who have genuine interests of moving on to a better situation or ending their career properly. And they're going to have no avenue to that. I don't think that's going to prevent people from doing it because they're still going to be in pursuit of their happy ending and going out their own terms. Well, but here's my could... question. Here's my question, though. Uh, did did Brown close the door completely on Stewart, or did he leave it slightly ajar? Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say he was gone. He he avoided. Hey, he avoided that question uh, when he was specifically asked, "Is there a possibility of him coming back?" Uh, and he said he was, I think his quote, and I don't want to quote him, but I think it was, I'm focused on the here and now. Um, no, it's over. It, there's no way he's Crazy. coming back. I, I don't think he wants to come back, and I don't think the program would, would take him back at the moment based on responses that we've seen so far. Where is he playing, too? He's not a corner, and pretty much everybody in the defensive backfield is back or in place for next year, too. So probably farewell. I just thought that was an interesting no comment where generally I don't really care for no comments. Yeah. Well, we could spend all day trying to fix all the NCAA issues, but let's turn our attention to Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State, big win last week. I have been a um, very vocal on this podcast that I wasn't a believer in the Cyclones this year. Uh, they really shut me up with a, a pretty dominant win over TCU this past weekend. Uh, the offense is clicking uh, over seven yards per play this entire season 
which ranks top 10 in the country. Mike, what does West Virginia have the, the pieces on defense to shut this down? What, what's the approach here? It's a really fascinating team because we're talking a hundred points basically in the last three halves at home and really just an awful game at Baylor. Awful. I think they just, just not very productive and no momentum. I mean, they scored 45 in the second half against Louisiana and then just had a heck of a time doing anything against Baylor and went from 45 points and a half to 21 points in a game. And then you're thinking, oh, that's not good. But they go home and they score 49 TCU, which just never happens. Um, so I'm wondering if it's being home, being away. You know, is that the problem? It might be. And I think we saw Texas have uh, – Texas wasn't comfortable here. I'm not sure how much it's the crowd, but certainly West Virginia's defense and sometimes offense was inspired by the crowd, which matters. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious by it. But I know that there's a number of good metrics about – Iowa State that makes you think they're pretty good, really good on yards per attempt. The quarterback is, I think, number you know top fifteen in important stuff like yards per attempt, yards per game, efficiency. He can also run. They make big plays. Their running game isn't perfect, but they get enough things from enough guys to do it. They have big tight ends, and their defense is legit. But I look at their defense and I say, who have they played? And I'm not even sure that's good. But uh, just there's some important things on offense that make me think that they're competent. Like they don't get third downs. They have 59 third downs in five games. That's 125 in the country. There's 130 teams. So they're not getting into a lot of third downs, which is good because they have two, three and outs all year. That's, that's a quarter for West Virginia in the first month of the season. They have two all year. So they do things right and smart and well in offense and their defense is good enough. But let me ask you this now, because we talked about this offline and perhaps you have more time to think about it. Are they good defensively, or are they getting good defensively? <laughs> like, I, they haven't played great people, but they're not getting beat by that, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, this was one of the questions I wanted to ask our Iowa State site, and we'll have that podcast with them later in the week. I haven't asked them yet, uh, but it because when I, I what what I've seen of them, and I haven't watched all of every five games that they've played. I've watched some of basically four of the five. And when I watch them, I feel like their defense is dominant. That's the first suffocating dominant. Those kind of words come to mind when I watch it. But I went back and I was looking at statistics, trying to figure something out. And and it's all pretty middle of the road, you know, like 60th in total defense and 50th in scoring defense and this and that all just kind of in that 40 to 60 range and all the rankings. And, and then you look at you, you have to, you know, kind of put it in perspective as well. At the teams that they played, as as you noted, what what's the best offense that they played? Is it is it Baylor? Because it it sure ain't Iowa, and it's not TCU, and whatever they're trying to do at quarterback. So if it's not those two, that leaves FCS Northern Iowa, uh, who needed three overtimes to get to twenty six points, and Louisiana Monroe. Uh, it, they have not played a good offense yet, and their stats are. Meh, on that side of the ball. Uh, so I'm curious to see what they can actually do. And well, and, but here's the question: Is West Virginia a good offense? So can they put them to the test? Yeah, that's the good question here. Is who's who's good? Right. And and I don't know. Like I mean, and then we have the question of if someone throws an interception, is it actually an interception, or who does it count for? So <laughs> so we're not going to get any solution there. But I the one thing I noticed about them is is um they don't bend or break. 
And a lot of times you'll give defenses defenses that are stingy sometimes, but they can be, beat over top because they concentrate so much up front. And sometimes you get defenses that they'll give up yardage, but they won't give up points. Um, they're not giving up a lot. Again, 26 points in three overtimes, seven, uh, 18, I think. Yeah, 18 against Iowa, 20 against Louisiana Monroe, 23 against Baylor, 24 against TCU. I mean, not a lot of points, not a lot of yards. And they're just, they're really good at what they do. I wrote about this last year when they stymied West Virginia. Um, they they do some weird stuff with their safeties. And they always have three back, but one or two of them is going to attack. You know, you only see five or six people in the box at the snap, but one or two other people is going to join them. And all of a sudden, you're running into a box that had five people and either seven. You're thinking, why didn't I pass? It's wide open. Um, but you can give up when you play that way small change here and there. And they basically say, you're not going to do that 12 or 14 or 16 straight times down the field without an incomplete pass or a third and long or a tip ball turnover or something like that. And they have really good parts for what they do. Their defensive line is really big. Their linebackers are active. Their safety is probably their best player. Their cornerbacks are tough. Like they're just aligned with their personnel for what they want to do which means West Virginia has got to be efficient and got to be patient. And, you know, you got to hit the guy when he's open and not when he's coming open or not when he was open. You're going to have to find a hole and hit it and, you know, take three when it's there. Don't see three and aim for 15. Um, it's a taste, test of patience and discipline and improvement that I think we saw signs of against Texas, which, again, does some similar things with better players, but is not as good at it as Iowa State is. Yeah, you're fresh off of uh... – well, not fresh off of, because I guess you had basketball right after, but fresh off of talking with the football coaches, assistants, um, some players, What did did they have anything to say about what they feel like going into this Iowa State game, how they can attack that kind of defense? They really respect it because it's, it was unique, which when you think about it, nobody's really inventing anything right now. Um, like the game has been around so long and it's evolved in such an offensive way that there's not a whole lot of concepts and designs offensively that are left that are undiscovered. And you always wonder like, man, when is a team going to go with the talent of like, let's say Oklahoma and run like wishbone or run like pure triple option. Cause we'll see some wishbone and some triple option teams. So like, what if a team that was just a blue chip heaven started doing that? Right. Or, but that's kind of like what you're talking about when you think about cycles and reinvention, but like they did something almost brand new on defense. And we're, we're talking like way back in the early eighties, you saw stuff like this when offenses were totally different. And now you've got this, this 2000 ish era off of, of offense where everybody's dropping back and throwing it and the shotgun snaps and quick releases and four birds. And they kind of brought something old and made it new again and have this like shut down sieve defense. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's got gaps and alleys and things you think you can exploit. And all of a sudden it's not there anymore. And the coaches really kind of like admire that, that, man, these guys kind of have some ingenuity and it's been around for long enough now. It's their fourth year there. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and it's still good. And people are trying to copy it or understand it. And it's it's somewhat more prevalent than it was before, but it's still a really good defense. Like West Virginia's three, three, five got copied a lot to the point it wasn't as effective. And maybe this, this happens over time, but right now it's still shutting down average and good offenses to the same effect. Uh, I think defensively they're impressed. Offensively, they just see a team that's really good at what they do. Um, very efficient again. Uh, I think their offensive stats are kind of jaded a little bit by one game in particular. They scored 72. But again, if you put 49 points up on TCU and you're answering them in the second half, which is when Patterson's defenses typically get their act together and they figure out what's going on, um, that kind of makes you set up. Their quarterback's excellent. Their offensive line is 
I think it returns all five starters and is big and mean and can do good things. I have big targets. Like that's kind of what they've done for years now. And now they just have like good talent there and continuity. Um, and just, I think they really admire their quarterback too. And talking him up, like he's better than anybody they've seen so far, which sounds like, Oh my gosh, can you believe that? But honestly, it might be true. He might be more of a singular threat at his position than anybody. Do you, do you buy into that? Cause they just played Ellinger and they saw Kelly Bryant before that. I do think he, I do think he's better than, than I think he can do more than Brian. I think he can, is a slightly better version than Ellinger. I mean, I don't think he's quite Jalen Hurts, but as far as what they've seen so far, I mean, he's, he's special. There's no denying it. Uh, he is a threat with his arm, with his legs. He is the team's leading rusher. Um, I think it's going to be tough for West Virginia to stop him because I, if they start running the similar concepts as to uh, that Ellinger ran at, with Texas, with the, uh, what, did, what did Brown call it, that the follow power where the quarterback kind of follows the power run game. I mean, that's, it, it's simple numbers is what it is. And typically the defense has a little bit of an advantage because they have an extra number since the quarterback is either handing it off or throwing it. He's not blocking. He's not running, but when he's in the follow power, it, you got numbers straight up and, and it can get, it should get to the point where it's just the quarterback one-on-one with one defender and Ellinger is big enough and strong enough and smart enough to do that, to beat that one person. And so is Purdy. So it's going to be tough for West Virginia. They have really good skill too. Like we've talked about Akeem Bailey and um, uh, what was Lazarus? Um, Marcel Lazar no. Lazarus. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just said, hold on a second. Mike, you're getting old here, pal. Oh, just said Akeem, Akeem Butler. Akeem Bailey and Marcel Lazard, huh? Um, I What's believe their names? <laughs> Akeem, Akeem Butler and Alan Lazard. Yeah. Um, yes, excellent receivers. And, leave it and, in. Yeah, leaving it in. Too bad we don't we don't have the budget for somebody to actually edit any of this. So that's okay. They replaced those guys and like they they're they're good skill position players and like I just I, the, across the board they look like a really good team. I talked about this last last game about to see in Texas and going wow those those guys look good. But like I'm staring at this depth chart going wow these guys look like they're probably going to look good in uniform too. And you know that's that's a hard thing for Iowa State to do. But you look at where a lot of their players are from. I was not I was on a hotbed of football and they do a lot of Florida stuff and they do a lot of like like talent rich areas and sometimes people see the field as freshmen or sophomores but they're really good at developing players like you always see fourth year fifth year senior guys who come from like a high school hotbed you're like wow where'd they get him you're like well no one else wanted him and they just developed him and like they're they probably have some staying power with this roster the trouble is can they get another quarterback like this but heck they don't have to worry about that for another year they're good i think one of the one of the first guys i thought about when you were just discussing that was deshante jones from cincinnati Colerain, uh, a school that does very well at the high school level. Uh, West Virginia offered Jones. I don't know how – I wouldn't say they really pushed hard for him. But, you know, the only other three Power 5 offers that I'm looking here had for Georgia Tech. So Georgia Tech, Louisville, West Virginia, Wisconsin. And if I remember correctly, uh, Wisconsin and West Virginia weren't even pushing that hard. So, you know, that's not exactly like a recruit that everybody was knocking down the door for, relatively speaking. Um, and here he is as a senior, uh, team's leading receiver, uh, pretty darn good player. Yeah, um, a bunch of them all over the field, too. Uh, Charlie Kolar, the tight ends from Norman, Oklahoma. That's a team that a university that typically has pretty good tight ends. Um, the quarterback, 
pretty good player from a pretty yeah. good place in high school too. Like, I mean, they they know what they're doing over there, and um, I don't know. It's just it's just interesting. Like, Arizona is not where you find a kid playing college football in Iowa. You know, like well, how did he end up there? And when a lot of people wanted him, but they're they're doing something right here. They're showing guys, hey, here's what we have, which is a big deal in recruiting, and here's what you can do. That's a big deal, but like what you can become and you know how far you can advance yourself is, is a vision that they're selling there, which is pretty impressive because, you know, similar to West Virginia, they have to do a lot of that stuff. They have to tell guys what they're going to be like in five years, four years from now, too, and it's working. All right, I'm giving you 30 seconds to answer this. What is the one thing West Virginia has to do Saturday to win the game? You can't get beat in the fourth quarter, man. Like, it's like they kind of frittered away some opportunities in the last game and they were in there. And I don't know if that's fatigue or just reality of the Texas uh, talent and just machine coming in, but, like, Texas is really good at finishing stuff. I think they're I think they scored in all but one of the red zone possessions. So that's just a snippet, but like they've scored on all but three of their fourth quarter and overtime possessions. So um, they have a really good mindset to put drives away and to put opponents away. I kind of noticed that against TC where they kept answering their scores, but you know, make sure that you're in there at the end, but that's not good enough. It was okay and admirable to be there late against Texas. Um, Iowa State has the ability to pull away from you because they're very solid. One more 30-second question. You've watched the film. Mm. How many of the four interceptions were Austin Kendall's fault? Do you want my answer or do you want the quarterback <laughs> coach's answer? The quarterback coach says that two are certainly on Kendall. Um, okay. one, one is the first one that everybody agreed. He just went to the wrong side of the receiver, and, and the big, unmistakable linebacker was standing right there. Do you know the second one? I'm going to guess... We have three options. We have the 50-50 ball where the cornerback made a really good play and Sam James had uh, about three steps erased. We have the really nice play by Foster where he jumps a hook route on third one and tips it and catches it himself. And then we have the out to the field, which is a heck of a throw, um, that got picked off by Jameson, who made the really good interception on the, the second pick. So the fourth one, I think everybody's already said, or Brown said, was a wrong route. So I'll leave that one alone. And the second one, although I think it was an amazing play by that defensive back, the one-handed leaping interception, I don't think he should have made that throw. Because uh, if I recall correctly, on the other side, I'm trying to remember if this is the right play or if this maybe this was one a couple before it, a couple after it. Michael Laughlin or somebody in the slot on the other side had a seam route and was wide open. Um, I don't know if that goes into it, but am I right? Wrong? You are wrong. Oh. The first one is one that's on Kendall. The second one, they're just going to say, hey, good play on recovery. I think it was a bad throw by Kendall. Personally, if you've got two steps on a cornerback that good, uh, you can't let him make that up, and you're not making that up against Sam James. He's going to run away from that guy 10 times out of 10. He's too fast. Um, he didn't step into that ball. Offensive line didn't do a great job finishing their blocks. They kind of let guys survive the initial contact, and they swept around the play and really kept Kendall from stepping into it. Um, he doesn't drive his back foot at all. He just kind of like lets it stop. It didn't swing through. Um, so didn't get the mustard on he wanted. It flutters, and it gets picked off. But compromise, but they're going to say that's on the cornerback. Eh, whatever. Um, the out to George Campbell is the other one that the coaches are going to say isn't his fault. Campbell really, instead of squaring or cutting his route, he kind of rounded it out, and the timing wasn't right. They think that Kendall made the exact same throw one snap earlier to Sean Ryan, and when it went to the right side, Texas was looking for that play. They were responding to that, 
And they guessed right because Campbell, again, was two round, wasn't as sharp as Crispin up. If he runs through it, he at least breaks it up probably. So those two were off him, which means that the third and one play, which Brown said was his fault because if it's a bad play call, why don't you run or do something different? Uh, Sean Reagan, the quarterback coach, said that Kendall just didn't trigger it fast enough. And if you look at that, man, it looks like Foster is telling the cornerback, you take the slot guy, I'll take the outside guy, they're going to exchange, and I'm going to jump the hook route here. And that's exactly what happened. He makes a great play, tips it to himself and catches it, but I think they're saying that Kendall should have been quicker with that ball. I think whatever explanation you're looking for, the first one's on him. Let's just agree that one of the other two. He's got a half here and a half here. That means one more, right? Maybe we can't yeah. agree on which one. So let's just, let's just assign half and half and say two of them are probably on him and two of them are probably – on circumstance. Well, I think that <laughs> we could debate Austin Kendall interceptions all day too, but I think we're going to wrap it up now. We have a lot coming this week. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to have uh, Alex Halstead from uh, Cyclone from our Iowa State site to discuss this weekend's game on the podcast. We're going to have him in an insider Q&A. We'll have bowl projections. We'll have a visitor preview. Mike, what do you got coming? Lots of good stuff from football. Um, you know, how are they going to – Iowa State's line is very tall, and they break up a lot of passes. West Virginia had one or two knocked down by Texas. That's something you can't really have happen when you're trying to throw the ball quickly. What are they going to do about that? They have a plan. Uh, talk to Bryson Mays about how offenses are trying to trick him and screw him up, and he's getting better at that. Already have something up about T.J. Simmons and how well he is going to have to play, but also maybe how well he's been playing and then kind of a look at what offenses – or excuse me, what the offense and defense do at Iowa State and why they're unique or successful, however you want to look at it. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for today. Uh, make sure you check out everything at earsports.com. If you missed our amazing two months for $1 deal, you can still get one month for one buck. It's still a good deal. You're still going to get a couple hundred articles, a full message board, fewer ads, and access to all of the sites on the network for just $1. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Visit earsports.com and listen again to Country Roads Confidential later in the week. For now, I'm Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. Thanks for listening.